Go to First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one. We're going to be reading uh, verses one through nine of First Peter chapter one. Then we're going to unpack uh, some that's in this. We're not going to unpack unpack all all nine verses. That would just take way too long. First Peter chapter one. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. May we bow our heads and hearts in prayer this morning. Father God, we are so thankful for the reading of Your Word this morning. And Lord, now I pray that Your Holy Spirit would guide us as we, as we look into Your Word, as we find out what You would have to say to us through Your Word this morning. Father, just guide us and direct us. Help us to remember, Lord, the things that You've taught us, the things that You've, you've instructed us. Uh, uh, Lord, just help us to do uh, what we can do for Your glory and for Your honor. We'll be careful to praise You in Jesus' name. Amen. I like to always think about a letter that, that I'm reading uh, to find out the context of the letter. First of all, who wrote the letter? It was the Apostle Peter, right? Uh, Peter is one of my favorite apostles. Why, you may ask? Well, because I see me in Peter a lot, right? Peter was always uh, the first one to speak without thinking. I mean, he he was just... It was just like free-flowing, like a, a stream of consciousness that, that he would just spew out at, at, any, at any moment in time. Uh, and often, many times, he was rebuked for that, that, that boldness that he had, that, that, uh, that just uh, ability to, to just blurt it out, no matter what. Uh, and so, uh, I, 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 I feel a little bit like Peter. Peter was a fisherman. Uh, not much education for fishermen in that day, and he was planning on spending his life being a fisherman. As a matter of fact, after Jesus died, he says, "I'm going fishing. I'm going back to what I know." Uh, and it would it would it would take some some doing to get him back into the fold even after that. But uh, he he's just a, a great character in Scripture. But now here, notice that 
that he is bringing some encouragement to some people, some Jewish people. He's writing this. I, I like to know about the letter just a bit. But he's writing this to uh, struggling saints wondering if it's worth the cost. Were the blessings of God real or just a dream? Notice, they have... They, these are believing Jewish people who have been scattered abroad from Jerusalem, out from Jerusalem into uh, a, a large part of what's commonly uh, what's known today as Turkey. So they are just scattered all over Turkey, uh, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Uh, so they have been they've been scattered and and they're suffering persecution. It's written in the 60s A.D. and Persecution is beginning to take hold. Now, extreme persecution of the whole church would, would still be a hundred, couple of hundred years away. But they are struggling right now because of persecution, because of the fact that they are Christ followers, that they are Jewish Christ followers. It would be bad enough to be a Jew and to be dispersed into the world like that, to be dispersed out there into the world, but to be a to be a Jewish Christian, it would be even worse. Because the Jews kind of hung together in the communities that they went to. Well, if you were a Christian in a Jewish community, then you were going to suffer that much more. So he's, he's encouraging people who are facing daily struggles, daily trials in all that they do. He calls them, notice, notice what he calls them, to God's elect. To God's elect. Later, later in that in that in that that paragraph, he tells them that they were chosen. They've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. God's elect, chosen by God. Now we'll have a little different view of that as as Arminians in the Wesleyan Church. We'll have a little different view of that than the Calvinists in the Southern Baptist Church, right? Where predestination means that you either are or you aren't, you can or you can't, you will or you won't, right? Our view of this is that God has predestined everyone, but you've got to make a choice, right? You have a choice to make whether or not you choose Him. The Bible says, whosoever will let Him come, right? Whosoever. For God so loved the world, right? That means everyone. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So there is no one left out in this. You choose who you're going to serve. You make a choice. Am I going to serve Jesus Christ or am I going to serve the world? Am I going to live in the world? Which brings us to the next thing that he says, to God's elect strangers in the world. That word strangers is an interesting word in the original. It means a traveler who is living among native people who have settled into a community of native people. Think of, think of missionaries, if you will. When they go into a country and they go among native people of the country and they live in that area. Strangers in the world. I like to think of that as those of us who are Christian. We are, we should be strangers in the world. We are just traveling through. 
The old song says, I, I, I'm, I'm just traveling through. This world is not my home. I'm just traveling through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I can't feel at home in this world anymore. We should be strangers in the world, in the community that we're living in. Remember back a few, we are in the world, but not... Very good, you do remember. We are in the world, but not of the world. We have to live in community with other people. We have to live in community with folks that that don't think like we do, that don't have the same worldview that we do. And we are strangers in that world. We are just sojourning in this world. But we are to live like Christ wants us to live. We dare not assimilate into the world. Right? We are in the world, but not of the world. We better not, we, we must not become like the world. We must not become like the world. Because a lost and dying world is looking to you, is looking to us, is looking to me for hope. God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout, and we talked about them being scattered throughout uh, all of Turkey there, who have been chosen chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. What does that mean, the sanctifying work of the Spirit? Sanctify, the word, the word sanctify, there is, is that word that, that means to separate something. In the Old Testament, let's, let's think back to the Old Testament just a moment. When they were preparing the, the, either the tabernacle or the temple, both were, were very much the same process, when they were preparing the instruments for the, the tabernacle and the temple, what did, what did they do to those instruments? Do you remember? They went through this process that they call sanctifying these instruments, right? So that everything was set apart wholly unto the Lord. We don't dare use this anywhere but the tabernacle or the temple once the temple was built. This gets used nowhere else. Those of you who have studied the book of Daniel, you, you remember a fellow by the name of Belshazzar after, uh, after Nebuchadnezzar died, his grandson Belshazzar took over. And he had a, he had a stupid drunken party one night. I mean, they were just, they, they were drunk out of their minds. And he, he calls for the, the temple instruments. Go get that, go get those cups that, that were, that we brought back from Jerusalem. Uh, go get those things out of there and bring those. We're going to have party with those. You remember what happened right after he made that decision? A huge finger starts writing on the wall. He saw it. I imagine that's the quickest anybody's ever sobered up. That finger started writing on the wall and, and a meanie, meanie, tickle, whatever those words were. But, he brought Daniel in. Daniel came in to interpret those words and, and he said, you've been weighed in the balances and you've been found wanting. Why? Because he used things that were sacred to God. Things that were set apart. Sacred for God's use and God's use only. 
That's what the word sanctifying means. That, that, that we are being sanctified uh, by the work of the Spirit. That means that the Spirit is working in us as Christians to make us more holy on a daily basis. I trust that each and every one of us are growing in grace and knowledge and, and, and striving for holiness. Striving to be the people that God's called us to be. Striving to live like Christ wants us to live. The sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. He is setting you apart for service. He's setting you apart to work His will. Now, I'm not talking about full-time Christian ministry. I'm not talking about full-time Christian service. But wherever you work, wherever you go to school, whatever you do in your life, you are a minister of the Gospel to the people that you interact with. God has called us all to be priests to the people that we interact with on a daily basis. That means our neighbors, our friends, the people that we, that we, that we bump into the carts at Walmart. The people that won't get their carts out of the way at Walmart. We are called to be priests to those folks. To be holy unto the Lord so that we might win those folks. See, those are the people that we're going to win. It's, it's those people outside this wall that we're going to win to Christ. Most of y'all are saved. Right? We're not going to see much salvation going on in here. Well, you're here to be encouraged and to be edified and to be taught and to learn about the things of God so that you can go out into the world and do the work of ministry that God is sanctifying you for. That He's setting you apart for. You are set apart. You are just like those instruments in the temple. Be set apart. Be different. It's not, it's not wrong to be different. It's not wrong to, to not be normal. I'm real not normal. Thank you. Thank you. Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, what does that sanctifying work of the Spirit eventually lead to? Obedience to Jesus Christ. So that we are obedient to Jesus Christ. So that we do what God calls us to do. Whatever that is. I, I appreciate so much the volunteers in this church. Just can't thank you folks enough for doing what you do for the cause of Christ here at Brown's Chapel Wesleyan Church. I, I, I talked to Richard this morning and thanked him for getting those corn husks, corn stalks out of the out of the drain out there. He said, "Who finished that up?" I said, I, "He said I left a big old pile of corn stalks there in the field." He said, "Who finished that up?" I said, "I have no idea." Does anybody know who did that? If you know who did that, raise your hand. Somebody did it. Thank you. Thank you, whoever did that. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thanks, thank you to all the volunteers for being obedient to what Christ has called you to do, to be. 
Find out, find what it is that God is, is, is sanctifying you for. Find out what it is that God is, is directing you to do. And then go do it with all your might for the cause of Christ. Go do it. For obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood. Now, Jews would, would understand that, 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 that picture there. That sprinkling by His blood. Because in that, in that ceremony of sanctifying the equipment, they would sacrifice an animal, most likely a bull in the case of the temple and the tabernacle. They would take that blood, they would gather that blood, collect that blood in a, in a bowl, in a big bowl. And they would take that blood and, and take a hyssop branch. Uh, specifically hyssop. I have no idea why hyssop. You all look that up and find out and tell me. But they would take that hyssop branch, that hyssop bush, and dip it in the blood, and they would sprinkle everything. They would sprinkle the, the candlesticks. They would sprinkle the table of shewbread of, of, of the, 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 representing the manna in the wilderness. They would, once a year, they would sprinkle the ark, of, putting the ark of the covenant in there. They're sprinkling that there. Everything, the brass laver, the brass bowl outside that they washed themselves in before going into the temple. Guess what? Sprinkle some blood on that from, from the, from the bull. Sprinkle some blood on that. Sprinkle some blood on that. It's how they sanctified. It's how they set apart those utensils for service. And the sprinkling of Jesus' blood is a much greater sacrifice than all of those Old Testament animals. The writer of Hebrews says, the blood of bulls and goats, they won't save you. But the blood of Jesus Christ is the only thing that will save you. So we need to have the blood of Jesus Christ sprinkled. And that's, that's the picture that Peter is giving for these folks here. We, we are sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Sanctified by the work of the Spirit. We need to have that blood applied. Finally, Grace and peace be yours in abundance. And now to get to the message. <laughs> See, I knew that would get your attention. It's 11:24, and I'm just starting. I'm just starting the message. I want to look at verses three and four, though, and and talk about some things that are that are new in the Christian's life. Some things that were new in these folks' lives that that they need to remember as they go through persecution as they go through hard times, as they go through very difficult situations. Uh, just remember these things. First thing in verse 3 is, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth. He has given us new birth. We are brand new once we come to Jesus Christ for our salvation. He makes us brand new creatures, brand new creations. The word there, the phrase there, is actually, uh, in His great mercy, He has given us new birth. That's all one word in the original. And it simply means to have one's mind changed so that he lives a new life, conformed to the will of God. To have a person's mind changed to the point that he lives a new life conformed to the will of God. Right? We have new birth. 
We have new birth. It's provided by God's great mercy, as we see there. It is, it is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed every day. It's the Lord's mercy that saves us, that gives us this new birth. And I want you to notice that the, that the tense of the verb, uh, of the, of the action there is, is such that it's an experience. It indicates a specific time and place. Think of, of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Paul is writing to the young, uh, young preacher that uh, Timothy and Titus are, are two very young pastors that, that Paul just, they have a special place in Paul's heart. He calls them his sons. He's probably won them to the Lord and, and, and mentored them. And, and now as he is in 2 Timothy, this is probably the last letter that he writes uh, before being executed. Uh, but he just has a, he just, they just have a special place in his heart. And in verse 12, he says, that is why I'm suffering as I am. And he, and he, and he's talking, of course, about uh, the gospel. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. I know whom I have believed. See, I believe that this new birth takes place at a specific time, at a specific place. I, I can still remember that Wednesday night in June of 1971 where a 19-year-old boy went to an altar and gave his heart and his life to Jesus Christ. And he would never be the same from that day forward. Now, you may not have as an exact time and place as me, but you need to know that you know. I, I appreciate so much one of Matthew's uh, comments on Facebook. Uh, he, he had put his dad's uh, uh, obituary on Facebook and, and he was just having tons of, of responses to that. And, and he, he says this, Friends, thank you so much for your kind words and prayers. We are celebrating and grieving. There is such a joy in the Lord. What a blessing to know that you know. See, I believe that salvation is something that we can know that we have. I know that I have salvation. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I have given Him. He has given me and He's guarding that. I believe that this new birth is something that we can know about. Then he goes on to say, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope. In that new birth, we have a new hope. And boy, if there's anything that these folks need, it's hope. Once we lose hope, once we lose the ability to, and, and, and the word literally means to anticipate with pleasure, to anticipate with pleasure, to think of what's going to come in the future with pleasure. 
to hope in something. We have a new hope. Think about Peter just for a moment and and you'll you'll get a, a, a picture for why new hope means so much to him. He had heard Jesus over and over say some tremendous things. You remember when, when Jesus first met Peter? It was in a boat. Peter was fishing. He had just come in. He was drying his nets and, and cleaning up his nets. Jesus was teaching up on the hillside, up on the bank. And Jesus finishes his teaching and he comes down to Peter and he says, Peter, let's go fishing. Let's go out in the boat. And Peter says, but I've been out all night and we haven't caught a thing. I'm just, you know, he could have said, Jesus, I thought you were a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. I know how to do this. But Jesus says, let's, let's go out in the boat. And Peter says, okay. I think he's kind of been listening to what Jesus has been saying up on the hillside. And he says, okay, we'll go out. What have I got to lose? And Jesus says, throw your nets out. And he throws his nets out and he begins hauling in a haul of fish like you have never seen him. So much so that he calls for his partner, John, to come and bring the other boat out or I'm going to sink in this boat because of the number of fish that I've caught. And they get that thing to shore and Peter just looks up at him and falls on his face in that boat and says, Lord, depart from me. <laughs> I'm not worthy. Rhonda mentioned this morning Isaiah's experience in the throne room of God and and when he realizes that he's in the presence of deity, when he's in the presence of God Almighty, he falls on his face and says, I'm undone. I'm a dead man. Much the same thing that Peter faces here. Well, he's, he's heard Jesus saying all sorts of tremendous teaching over the course of this <clears throat> next three years that he spends with Jesus. I gotta hurry. <clears throat> He's heard all sorts of tremendous teaching from Jesus and 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 marvelous things and, and he's there that night that Jesus is arrested and, and boy he's so committed to Jesus that that he's he's borrowed a sword or something and and one of the guards comes and, and they're gonna take Jesus and he he grabs that sword and now this is just John's point of view. So it's just right here. I have no idea if this is theology or not. I think Peter was aiming for the center of this guy's head. I think he was planning on splitting this guard's head wide open with that sword. And he just wasn't a swordsman. He missed and chopped off that fellow's ear. And Jesus puts the ear back on. And he sees that. And he sees Jesus doing tremendous things and then Jesus is hauled away to, to, to be tried in illegal trials. And beaten, and bloodied, and bruised. And fear starts to set into Peter. He starts to be afraid and they ask him, aren't you one of, one of them? No, I'm not one of them. No, I could never be one of them. I swear to you, I don't know this man. And about that time, the rooster crowed 
And Jesus, from that whipping post, looks Peter's way. And Peter has lost all hope. That's on Friday. But then Sunday morning comes. One of the women who had seen the angels and Jesus, and he told them, go tell my disciples and Peter also. The hope that we have is based on the fact that Jesus rose from the grave. The proof that He was who He said He was. The I Am, God in the flesh. The proof of that is the fact that He, under His own power, came out of the grave. The hope of the resurrection is what is going to give these people hope in the midst of their struggles and their trials. We have hope of eternal life. We have hope in Christ because He is alive again. He is risen. That's our hope today. We have a new hope. And then lastly, and I I will hurry through uh, verse 4. We have not only a new hope, but we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. We have a new heritage. We have a new heritage. And and think about this. The fact that it is such a tremendous, beautiful thing that Peter doesn't have the words to describe that inheritance, that heritage, in, in, in positive light of what it is because he doesn't have words to explain it. Paul, remember Paul said one time, said, I knew a man, I don't know whether in the body or out of the body, uh, but he was caught up to the third heaven and he saw things there that that are not allowed to be uttered. I can't imagine what he saw. But Peter doesn't have the words to express it. Peter doesn't have the words to, to use to... to, uh, to uh, I don't even have the words to explain what Peter doesn't explain. He can't explain it. It's inexpressible. It's... it's, it's, it's So he has to use negative words. Our inheritance, our heritage will never perish. Our inheritance is never going to go away. It will never be spent. It will never be done. It will never be finished. It will never be over. It's going to last throughout eternity. It can never spoil. No blemish. It's pure and perfect. Can never spoil. Don't you hate it when you buy a bunch of bananas and go in a couple days later and they're just melting on the on the on the counter? Man. Spoilage is a terrible thing. But our inheritance, our heritage will never spoil. It will never fade. It will endure 
for all time. It will never fade. The paint on your house one day will fade and you'll need to repaint it. But our inheritance will never fade and it is reserved. You've got a spot there if you have the new birth. If you have new hope, then you have a spot reserved for you. Who by faith, who through faith are shielded by God's power. Oh, boy, that should that should that should make you shout to know that you are shielded by God's power. They are struggling. They're having a hard time. They're being persecuted on a daily basis. And he says, God's power is shielding you. That's hard to hear in the, in the midst of struggle. But know that there is new birth, new hope, and new heritage. Let's bow our heads and hearts. The worship team is coming. Father God, we are thankful that You have preserved the words that You inspired Peter to write some 2,000 years ago. We thank the Lord for the message of a new birth. The fact that we can know that we have eternal life. That we have salvation in our hearts. That we have the sanctifying work of the Spirit in our lives. The fact that we have hope. Oh, the, the writer of Scripture said, if in this life we have hope, we are of all men most miserable. But we have a hope that is eternal. We have a hope that will last forever. That will endure. Never perish. Never fade. An inheritance that You have reserved for us. Lord, I pray that if there's one person here today that's never experienced that new birth, never experienced the work of Your Holy Spirit's power, I pray, Lord, that today would be the day that in their pew, they would just say, Lord, I confess. I need You in my life. I confess that I am a sinner separated from You, and I need You in my life. God, give me new birth. And I pray, Lord, that they would make that known, and that they would share that, and, and Lord, that they would seek baptism and and, uh, and, and, and just enjoy the joys that you have to offer as a Christian. To do the work that you've called them to do. Father, may you just have your way in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen.